Hey everybody, what's up? It's your good friend Chase. Happy to be in your ears. It's my favorite day because it's the day that I record the show. Welcome to the show, the Chase Jarvis Live Show. You're on Creative Live. You all know this. This is where I sit down with amazing humans and I do everything I can to unpack their brains with the goal of helping you live your dreams, whether that's career or hobby or life. Uh, and you know, we're all in this together, aren't we? That's, you know, I was just looking over the show notes here for what I'm about to announce. I'm about to announce a good friend of mine who's been on the show before, very in-demand guest. Um, and it's just, it's just such a cool thing to be a part of a community. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I love recording this so much every week uh, and sharing it with you. I hope well, I'm seeing all of the screen caps and shares, you know, photographs that you're sharing on your social feeds and mine. Thank you for doing that. Just reminds again me again that we're we're all in this together. Uh, but to get in the show, this is a doozy because <laughs> it's a little different. Um, it's two things simultaneously. It is both a a look behind the curtain at how we create and record this podcast. A lot of you hardcore listeners have asked been asking this an audio version of this for some time. So we came up with a clever, I'll call it super genius way of talking about how we create this show by actually having a guest on the show and sharing what it's like to be the guest from the guest point of view. And the guest is also an amazing human and an amazing podcaster who you may know. His name is Lewis House. Lewis, longtime friend. He's been on the show as a part of the 30 Days of Genius series we did over at Creative Live. If you're not familiar with that series, go to creativelive.com slash genius to get three or sorry, 30 free videos with game-changing entrepreneurs. Um, but Lewis is a former athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Um, he's got a top 100 podcast. You may be familiar with that called The School of Greatness. Awesome guests. Uh, he's a great interviewer. And he's also a New York Times bestselling author of his book with the same title, School of Greatness. And he released a second one called The Mask of Masculinity, which did a great job of um, just was putting a perspective on um, the challenges that he has had in his life. Um, I'll get into that in just a second. Um, and for anyone who's interested, he's also got two or three classes on Creative Live. If you decide you want more from him, um, it's a great place to go. Of course, check out his podcast and his books as well. Um, a couple things we cover in addition to this um, this cool wrapper that we created uh, for for today's show. Uh, a journey from his sister's couch, broken and broke, like literally broken arm and no money in the bank, uh, to from from that point to uh, creating a seven figure income for his, for himself, one step at a time. He sort of breaks it down what his mindset was, how he shifted that mindset towards you know from um, a limiting mindset to a growth one. Um, he talks about his experiences uh, uh, with abuse as a child. It's a very um, meaningful segment of the podcast, um, how he processed that trauma and, and how it helped him write the book, The Mask of Masculinity. Um, not only is this a, an amazing and touching heartfelt story, but since we all have had some trauma in our life, um, you know, I think it's just uh, inspirational to listen to the openness and the strength and the grace that uh, how, how Lewis handles his personal experience, shares it, and has turned it into a point of personal power. I think we all have something to learn from that. Um, and of course, we talk about a lot of other things, how he's created not just the income, but the life that he wants, um, despite a bunch of people telling them that he couldn't. I think he was dyslexic as a child, and uh, he had a hard time learning in the traditional environment. He talks about how he got through that. 
and the the sort of the systems and the hacks that he put into place and how that's made him a stronger entrepreneur and uh, a better human for it. So again, all of this is in the wrapper of what it's like to be a guest on the show. We have a live in-studio audience. It was just a treat to make this program, and I'm very excited to share it with you today. Uh, so I'm going to get into the show, but before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you wanna check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. Welcome back to Podcasting Week 2018. Uh, we are live in the studio right now with Mr. Chase Jarvis. What's up, uh, bud? My name is Drew. I'm one of the hosts here. Uh, and Chase, you're the CEO yep. of Creative Live. It's true. There's not a lot of CEOs that let themselves come on live and be interviewed about how they do what they do. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to uh, just your commitment to education, to people learning things and your personal growth. Thank you. And, you know, I think each CEO has something that they can contribute. You know, again, I think of myself as a founder and CEO. So uh, in, in that sort of dual role, every founder or and or CEO has something to contribute. Some are master operators like Jeff Bezos. You know, he knows everything there is to know about business inside and out. Uh, and then there are... Um, you know, maybe the Steve, I don't want to compare myself to these people. Just I'm just trying to make a point. <laughs> but, you know, and Steve Jobs, product visionary. Yeah. You know, I think my gift is that I actually, A, lived the trajectory of the people that Creative Life serves. Yes. I quit everything that everybody else thought I should be doing to pursue something that was a passion of mine, which at that point in life was photography. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I went all in on that and, and developed a career. So... I think being part of the content creation world, um, connecting with the, the, our tribe, which is you know, tens of millions of people around the world, that's um, what I try and, and contribute. And then I try and be a, a message for that for the, the company yeah. and then connect that with uh, our fans and followers all over the world. Yeah. So in that continuum of going from creative to still creative, but now founder and CEO of yep. and 
entrepreneur and you doing all these other things. At what point did you sort of realize like, oh, podcasting, I, I should get into this or this should become part of what I'm doing? Uh, it was actually uh, before Creative Live existed Hmm. Um, I started podcasting, and it's, it was a long time ago. So Creative Live was founded in 2000, I think it was 2010, and, uh, and we had started, uh, live internet was just emerging, and if, it was interesting, we were thinking like, wait a minute, maybe we could do this a live show. Now, there was an earlier incarnation, I won't go down a rabbit hole here, but when the podcasting platform on Apple first launched, you could submit your RSS feed and your files to this, this service, and you actually had to pay. For, so when more people downloaded it, you, um, you had to pay more money. Yeah. And they realized that doesn't actually motivate people to, <laughs> you know, to get the, And there was a, a photo pot, or a, um, yeah, it was at that time, it was just me interviewing my friends in photography mm-hmm. and, and putting videos out. There was okay. a video podcast and an audio podcast. And what made me stop doing that is I once had a very popular video podcast that went sort of viral. I don't love that word, but and it cost me eleven thousand bucks. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I think that's yeah. not a. We should stop. Yeah, so stepped away from it for a little bit. Um, but then in two thousand nine, when live internet started emerging and there were yeah. some tools, we said, well, let's you know maybe this is another opportunity to express and share views. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest asset as a photographer was taking input and ideas from outside the photography industry. Mm-hmm. I got a little, I call that the dirtiest secret in photography is that the best things in photography come from not just looking at your peers. Well, you know, what's, what's this other photographer across the street or down right. the road or across the country doing? But for me, my motivation was from the artists in the 50s, 60s, 70s in New York, mm-hmm. folks like Jean-Michel Basquiat, uh, Robert Rauschenberg, because um, they were doing art about art. Mm-hmm. And so I was motivated by that and interested and I'm like, wait a minute, why can't I do that with photography? Bring some outside sources. So I started having, you know, when you have a successful career, you tend to be peers with other people who are at the similar level in other in- industries and disciplines. Yep. So I started having, you know, friends like uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot or um, Mark Echo, you know, the famous uh, clothing designer, or yep. I guess, yeah, artist turned clothing designer, mm-hmm. um, Bringing them in and onto the show for different perspectives, folks like Tim Ferriss, who just had written uh, the four hour work week that time, and wow. he and I became friends. And it's like, hey, yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with photography, but that's part of what photographers need. They need to think and see Learn outside the industry. So yep. it started out as an opportunity that was somewhat selfish. Hmm. Like, I wanted an excuse to add value to my friends and at the same time learn from people who are the top performers in any discipline. So that was in 2009, <laughs> and uh, the show's been going since then, almost 10 years now. Wow. So walk us through that iteration process of sort of like starting with video. How has it progressed since then? Sure. Um, the, the original show uh, was a live show. Mm-hmm. And again, what I was trying to do is do something. I, I have, also have a mantra, which is be different, not just better. Mm-hmm. Of course, we all want to get great at our craft. Mm-hmm. But at some point, when you've sort of crossed a certain threshold in your craft, little incremental differences, being 1% better at someone else than X or Y, mm-hmm. it's not really why you get hired or why you have passion to pursue something. Right. And it's about making your own mark, making your own dent in the universe, and, and being different. So I was thinking, wow, what are these tools? As these tools were emerging, I had had a lot of success with social media. There was not a lot of photographers doing it in 2003, 4, 5 when it emerged. And I thought, wow, this is live internet. Maybe we could do a live internet show hmm. and broadcast it with these off-the-shelf tools. 
And the first thing we ever did is I broadcast live a photo shoot. And I kind of, it was kind of a podcast because I was talking to the audience a little bit, but I was also shooting the cover of an album mm-hmm. for a band. Mm-hmm. And 25,500 people watched it. Wow. I was like, mm, this live broadcast thing, it kind of is an interesting thing. And that actually was a precursor to what became Creative Live. But it started out as a very heavy, you know, line up these, tell people that it was coming and we're going to broadcast at this time. And we had, you know, a lot of cameras and it was very sophisticated and it cost a lot of money and time. And so we only did it monthly. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, as we know now, frequency is one of the, like, the big wins in podcasts. The fact that it's lightweight, it's easy. Yep. Um, and so over time, we morphed it from a show that we probably did about 50 or 60 episodes once a month. And you can just do the math there. That's years of creating this. Um, very fancy live switch, not dissimilar to what people experience with Creative Live. Um, and then as we decided, like, wait a minute, we want to increase, bless you. It's an audio <laughs> program, right? And we're live. <laughs> uh, uh, but we wanted to, like, wait, increasing the frequency yeah. was we didn't have the, the dollars, the horsepower, the willpower to do that. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's yeah. a ton of work. When um, did that switch? That switched probably about four years ago now. Okay. So we did a good five, six years of once a month. Wow. Big, And these are like, you know, flying in yeah. super big time guests, putting them up the night before. We got to dinner, talk about the show. Yeah. Um, and in a weird way, it was a great brand building because yeah. no one was doing this. No one, no one had a live show. No one was doing interviews, yeah. especially in photography, but just in general. A lot of people say that this is the first live video show that I ever saw. Wow. And again, go back to being different, not just better. Yeah. Um, we had a sponsorship model that we sort of rolled in over after a couple of years when we started having super large audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would have sometimes 50,000 people watch these things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we ended up just I'd say monetizing it, but it was really about a, for people who wanted to connect with the audience that I was in service of. Mm-hmm. You know, these were big brands like you know the HPs and the um, Samsungs and the um, I don't know some of the bigger rental houses, and they were willing to pay a nice fee. And it wasn't like on a CPM basis; it was more like we want to sponsor the show. Yep. Um, but generally speaking, it was trying to be different, trying to bring in some outside influences, and it worked. Mm-hmm. When you know we'd fly. Folks like, uh, you know, I'd met Tim Ferriss years ago, some mutual friends, it was probably 10 years ago, introduced us, and he had a book launch, and I said, hey, I got this show that a lot of people watch, and he came on the show, and he was like, holy (laughs) smokes, this is amazing, like super high production value, and, you know, we had a screen off camera that was showing all the tweets that were happening in real time, and so... You know, in in part, he was like, "This is amazing," and I realized that in, if I'm able to add disproportionate value to my guests, right. like that's a win for them, and it makes it easier to recruit the new guest. Mm-hmm. So it sort of turned into a little flywheel. So speaking of guests, we have Lewis Howes yes. in the house. That's going to be your podcast today. <laughs> You've interviewed him a couple times. Uh-huh. How do you prepare for an interview? It depends. Like, it varies greatly based on who's coming on the show. Okay. Um, a lot of people who are on the show, you know, part of the reason that they're on the show and part of the reason that, that I select particular guests is because they have an idea or a set of ideas that they're putting out into the world. And I would like my audience to know about those ideas. Mm-hmm. I think they're relevant. 
Um, in a lot of cases, this is new films, new books, yeah. new albums, new creative projects that this particular creator, and sometimes they're close friends, or sometimes they're adjacent to my network, or sometimes they're people that I've never met before, mm-hmm. but they have something that I've deemed that is really valuable to the people that I'm in service of. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important you keep hearing me say, like, the people that I'm serving, that's the way I look at the show, I look at Creative Live like that. I want to add value to other people's lives, versus, like, I'm trying to make money, or I'm trying to meet new people, or that's about me. If you think of your audience first, that's always a really, really helpful way to, um, to just frame it because I think it, it sets the dynamic up appropriately. So in these cases, um, once I've determined that there's a good fit between the people that I'm in service of and, and the guest, invite them on. A lot of times it will constitute me reading their book. I get an advanced copy okay. from the publisher or from this particular person, yeah. um, and I... I try and fully read the book with everybody that I interview before I do. And sometimes okay. that's like, well, I got to pull an all nighter. Yep. Sometimes I'll skim and, and try and uh, cover some of the high points because I, I just, there's literally not physically enough time, but generally I prepare pretty fully. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, like I've interviewed Lewis three or four times and he and I have spent hundreds of hours together. We've traveled together. We've, um, you know, he's a dear friend. We went to dinner last night. We were together for three hours. Mm-hmm. So, I don't really have to prepare as much. Uh, I know what he's, um, what he stands for, what his mm-hmm. core values are, and uh, I, I am always busy thinking about how I can frame that for my audience. So, cool. Well, are you ready to bring him out? I'm always ready to bring let's, Lewis House. Are you kidding me? Let's, yeah. Would you help me welcome Mr. Lewis House? Woo! <laughs> Uh, so, again, there's a little meta thing going on here. We talked about this before yeah. the camera started rolling. What I want, so we're going to do an interview here, but I also want you to know, like, if there were, if none of y'all were here, what would we be doing? Right now, we'd be getting mic'd up, and I'd say, okay, cool. So, you know, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, you got the new Facebook Watch show, you got, obviously, um, the Summit of Greatness coming, I've right. got all these, I, I know a lot about what it is that you want to focus, is there anything in particular that you want to focus on? Whatever you are excited about. Oh man, I'm excited about a lot. Yeah. Um, anything, so, whatever they're excited about at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, and we, we are going to take some some questions, but I do, I try and have a moment, you know, there is time, what, what you may or may not see is there's a few minutes before, sometimes it's like, hey, we're going to show up at 12, we're going to start rec- recording at 12.30, there's time between 12 and 12.30 where I'm talking to Lewis and we're getting mic'd up and we're saying, oh, anything, I often ask the question, anything you don't want to talk about? And sometimes people are like, yeah, you know, that thing that was in the press about me, I'm really not that flattered about, or like, it's, it's, it's not normal, but it is on occasion people say, I just don't mm-hmm. want to talk about this, like the, you know, the, the Facebook thing or the whatever, I just don't want to talk right. about it. Um, and the so, divorce, the this. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. I may, may have had a widely publicized mm-hmm. um, yeah, divorce or a, I had a, a TV show that didn't go very well or I had an ex. And, and so I'll try and take note of that because there's this respect that I want to have. And again, I'm in service not just of our audience but also of the guest. So I, I definitely try and cover that stuff in that small talk time between you know, when the guest shows up and when uh, we start recording. And then another thing that I do, which I'm doing right now, is, all right, so is there anything you want to talk about? You already said, hey, I'm, I'm pretty open mm-hmm. to whatever. Mm-hmm. Anything you don't want to talk about? No. Okay, cool. He's open book. <laughs> He's want. an open book. Um, and then, so here's how it's going to go. You've been on the show before. You know this. I'm going to look to this camera. I'm going to open the show. Mm-hmm. 
and I do a, a basically a live intro to the show every time, and that's part of the video. It doesn't. I do an, I do a, a read when for the podcast version of this. The audio, but yeah. yeah, for the video version, I do a live intro introducing my guests, and I usually like want to say a couple things. So I want to say, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur, best-selling author of The School of Greatness and Mask mm-hmm. of Masculinity. You know, host of the Facebook show or the the Facebook right. Watch show, um, Inspiring Life with Lewis Howes. My guest is Mr. Lewis Howes. Does that work for you? Sure, let's do it. I'm doing a lot of talking. He's about to do more talking. So <laughs> believe me, on here. So that's what I'm gonna do right now. I'm gonna open the show, looking at this camera right here, and then um, just so you know, we're gonna talk for about an hour. We're gonna take some questions afterwards. Um, I'll deliver my monologue here. I'll say, Lewis, welcome to the show. We'll shake hands, and then we're off. Not staged at all. Not staged at all. But it, but what it does is it makes the guest feel a lot more comfortable because they know what's happening versus like, okay, I sat down. Now what's going to happen? What's mm-hmm. coming at me? And I say, if you, right now it's live. So the cameras that have the red dots, if you want to look into the camera and say, you kids at home, it's the camera with the red dots okay. on it. Um, and again, this is just context for pros, for people who do this on the regular, they launch new, new stuff and you're a, you're a regular, like you've been on hundreds of podcasts and television, you're real comfortable, but not everybody is. So I try and set the context and that adds a lot of value, makes them relaxed and uh, it makes for a greater conversation. Okay, so now that all that's out of the way, I'm going to actually <laughs> do, do the thing I've been talking about for seven and a half minutes. <clears throat> mm. All right. And if I screw up, like I'll start over because we normally don't, we're normally not live. So it's, sometimes I have to take a, a couple takes. What's important to me is it feels in the moment and gritty and fresh and not like I'm reading a teleprompter. Lewis Howes is a lifestyle entrepreneur. No, that's not part of what the show feels like. So there's a, a zhuzh. I'm going to deliver that zhuzh. Zhuzh it up. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's, <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know the show. This is where I sit down with amazing people and I do everything I can to unlock their brains with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest today is a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. He is the best-selling author of two books, The School of Greatness and Mask of Masculinity. He's got a new show on Facebook. He's got a, uh, he's got, I'm going to stop talking about all the things he's got because the list is long. My guest today is the inimitable Lewis Howes. Oh, man. In the house. Thank you, brother. Yes. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for coming up. Thanks, man. I think it was six years ago when I was here last. Six years ago? I think this it was five or six years ago. Because I, I was one of the first Creative Live business classes, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. We'd, we'd, uh, we'd been doing photography for about six or 12 months, and we started moving into some design and what we called the, you know, the Money in Life channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, that's right. You, you did a like how to start an online business class, Something right? Something like that, yeah. And someone made like... The, I remember the class. $26,000, I think it was. Yeah, so and, the, the and, concept of your class was you conceive of a, of a business idea, uh-huh. you strategize. This is like in real time. So the first day of the three-day workshop, yeah. you conceive of an idea. The second day, you uh, you create it and plan for it. And the third day, you launched it. You launched it. And in real time, on live. What was it 26? It might have been 18000 It was something over $15,000. I, I think it was $26,000. This person was doing this in real time. They walked in the door Creative Live with no idea. And then on day three, Everyone is like literally launching their businesses and, and this ticker was going up. And, and we this, did it live, kind of like we're doing live now. Uh-huh. 
it was like a very meta thing. We did a live webinar on a live webinar. Yeah, and and this person was like making real legit money, and it, it, you yeah. can't create it's crazy TV like that. It's fun, you know. You kind of what is it? Truth is stranger than fiction, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that was six years ago. A I think l- it was six years. ago. A lot has yeah. changed since a lot then. Has changed. I remember that uh, pre podcast. It was. It was pre your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we had you on the show way back when, and you were doing a really good job. You just transitioned. I think your big story at that time was going from, uh, I think you were on your, you were injured from football, mm-hmm. living on your sister's couch trying yeah. to figure out what was going on. Yeah, that was a few years prior, but I started building a business and then started teaching about how I did it all. Yeah. And so that was what the Creative Life classes, and that was our first podcast. Then we did a second show. We're just, re- uh-huh. this is history here. We're, yeah. we're looking back. You can only connect the dots looking backwards, <laughs> right? So we're connecting the dots looking backwards. We did a show in LA as a part of the 30 Days of Genius series. Yep. That was what, two year, year and a half ago? Yeah, that was two years ago. Two years ago. Uh, that was weird though, because you remember, um, I interviewed you and you interviewed yeah, me in the same day. Yeah. <laughs> we both have podcasts. I'm like, okay, you want to be on my podcast? Yeah, while you're doing yours, like, let's do mine too. So, so we said the same thing over. Yeah, and, and we're halfway through the show going, was this? Did we talk about this in this show, or is this the last show? We should have just shared the same interview. We should have, and now yeah. we would. Yeah. Now we know better. Um, so anyway, let's let's. That was looking backwards. We're gonna shift gears now. Now mm-hmm. we're gonna look forward. Um, you have just recently launched uh, "Inspiring Life" yep. with Lewis Howes, a new show on Facebook Watch. Yeah. What's the story there? How'd it happen? You know, it's all. It was always my dream uh, to have a talk show. About ten years ago, I remember th- watching Ellen. Are there any Ellen fans? Any mm-hmm. Ellen? Yeah. I remember watching Ellen when I was on my sister's couch because she kind of gave me that inspiration for the day that I was looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My sister had a dog. She was at work all day, and she had a dog named Lady, a golden lab that would kind of lay on my lap all day. While lay, lady, lay. Oh, lady. sorry about that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we would watch Ellen. And I remember being inspired by Ellen and thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool one day to just like be on her show and dance with her on stage? And this was 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And uh, it actually happened last year where I got on Ellen and I got to dance with her on stage. And I remember saying to her, I was like, you know, this was a dream of mine about 10 years ago. And thank you for letting me manifest this. And she was like, this is amazing. I remember that show. Yeah, it was fun. And um, I also thought during that time, I was like, it would be cool to have my own talk show to where I could kind of do what Ellen's doing or Mm -hmm. what Oprah was doing. Yeah. They were kind of my role models, right? They were the ones that I wanted to be like, but I just didn't have any credibility 10 years ago and didn't have the experience and didn't have a lot of belief in myself that I could do those things. So I spent the last 10 years developing credibility, developing credibility, developing experience and um, skills. And I think we gain belief the more we take action on something because we develop skills in that action taking. Yeah. So that's all I've been doing for the last decade is just acquiring new skills, mastering them, taking action, implementing something, putting something out there and seeing what works and then going all in on that thing if it works. And the first thing I tried was I was teaching LinkedIn early on Mm -hmm. and um, I launched a webinar on LinkedIn and it brings it full circle back to my creative live classes. I did this webinar after about two years of being on my sister's couch and I made $6,200 in an hour. And I was like, this is it. Like, I will do this for the rest of my life because I was broke at the time. Yeah. And um, I went all in on that and then went all in on the next thing and just kept mastering things um, until I had so much credibility in it and so much belief in myself that I could then use that energy and say, okay, now I want to launch a podcast. I have no clue what I'm doing, but 
I just did this other thing for three years by going all in. So I think I could figure it out. Yeah. So I did that with the podcast. I did that with a book. I was like, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I think I could figure this out and let me find the right people and take the right actions and just do what I did the last time in this industry. And then I was like, I think I could do a talk show. You know, I've done five years of this podcast thing with me in a studio by myself and a camera person. I think I could do this with a live studio audience with like a big production crew and like a lot of money on the line, right? Like yeah. a whole stakes on the line. Yeah. And um, so a year and a half ago, I, I had the opportunity to, to pitch it to Facebook before they launched their content network. And it took about a year and a half for us to go back and forth because they were figuring out their platform. Um, so I'm not used to waiting that long. <laughs> I like to, like, when I have an go. idea, let's like let's, let's launch it and let's actually sell something before we create it, right? Yeah. And that's what we did on the Creative Live show. Yeah. We were like, sell this, see if people want it, and then go create it. Yeah, Pre-sell it. Right, you did that with podcasting week. You yep. you said, "Hey guys, if you want this, like you can buy it, but we're not going to give you anything right now." Yeah, and then the uh, interest is high. You're like, "Yeah, this is really okay, happening." Now people yeah. want this. Now let's deliver it. Let's yeah. create it. If no one bought it, you would still do it, but I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Right. If no one bought something that I put an idea out there, I wouldn't yeah. go create as an that. independent. You know, independently, I'd be yeah. like, "Okay, well, I, that saved me six months of my life." of not having to create something and create a logo and presentation and videos yeah. just saved a lot of time. So I always like to launch something or sell something first and then create it once people tell me they want it. But let's go back to the Facebook Live show. So now you just wrapped your fifth. Just wrapped it, yeah. yeah. Five episodes in the first season. It was once a week for five weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. That's yeah, huge. So it was fun. How does it feel? You had this vision uh -huh. more than 10 years ago. How does it, it feels feel? good, man. It yeah. feels really good because... I think a lot of people have these visions and dreams that die. Like they always die off. I hear this from a lot of my friends. They've been talking about launching a book for 10 years and they're still working on the outline. They've been talking about doing a podcast. Not to put anyone on the spot, how many of you have been talking about doing a podcast for a long time, <laughs> but now you're here and you're going to launch it. So it's, it's good. You're taking the action. That's right. But I think a lot of people have these visions and dreams that – they don't even try out of fear of three things, the three common fears, the fear of failure, the fear of success, and the fear of judgment. And those three fears, I think, hold a lot of us back. Yeah. My whole life, I was never afraid of failure or success because I knew those were the foundational blocks towards achieving what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to have the success and the achievements because I could handle that responsibility and pressure that a lot of people are afraid of having. Mm -hmm. It was the judgment what I was afraid of that I would take action on something, but the criticism I would get would eat me alive. So I was very defensive. Like any negative review on my book, I was like, screw you, you don't know, you know <laughs> what it's like to write a book, you know, right. all these things. And um, where was I going with this? But the, the Facebook show. Yeah, just how did you feel? It feels good yeah. because for me, every time I bring something full circle, it just confirms that I'm capable of doing anything I want. It doesn't matter how small or big the project or idea or dream is like getting on Ellen. That was a big moment for me because it was like this huge stage that I was like, only like the biggest celebrities in the world get on. So why would they let me at yeah. 23 busted with a broken arm? Like why would they have me on there? And so for me, it was a great confirming moment. Like, man, you've worked your butt off to be even get to the position to have the opportunity to be on the show. And the same thing for the Facebook show, like whether or not, it goes another 100 episodes or nothing happens. It's a confirmation that, okay, Lewis, you did a lot of work for 10 years and 
you're capable of doing what you say you want to do. You're capable of manifesting the thing that you have a vision around. Yeah. It may not be exactly the way you want it to be. It may not be this perfect thing that everyone celebrates in the world, but you did it. Yeah. And that for me is a huge thing, bringing things full circle because I just feel like that creates so much momentum for yeah. me. Like I just am unstoppable feeling inside and self doubt is the killer of dreams. Yeah. And if we don't believe we're capable, then why would we even try? There's so, there's something so prudent and powerful about actions and actions realized like you have it. And then actually the doing, doing the thing is, as you said, uh, it's just, it's key to unlocking yeah. that personal power that we all have. Just to be clear, a lot of people, their big goal is making their bed every day. <sighs> And yours is having, having a, a talk show, <laughs> yeah. you know, and being on Ellen. These are these are huge goals. Do you ever mm-hmm. feel uh, afraid that you're setting goals that are too big for yourself or that are no? Uh, I feel I feel af- I feel scared if the dreams aren't big enough. I feel like I'm I'm playing too small. Like if I'm not scared of the dream I'm going after, I'm like, then I'm just wasting my life. That's just me personally. That's very tweetable. Someone's tweeting that right, right. now at home in their underwear in Ohio. But I, yeah, yeah, I just feel like that's my personal feeling based on my upbringing and, and feeling like that we all have the potential to do things that we don't even think are possible. So did you go from zero to a hundred? Did you go from zero, from sitting on your sister's couch to, this is tongue in cheek because I know you didn't, but what are some of the things that you did along the way? You mentioned a couple of them, but those are the, those are still, I would consider those highlights and I'm, yeah. I'm invoking what a, a mutual friend of ours, Brene Brown, um, she calls that gold plated grit. Like, yeah, I was tough. I was on my sister's couch, but then I was on Allen. Yeah, right, right. You know, you just go from like yeah. broke and tired to super famous and successful. Sure, sure. So tell us some of the things that happened I had behind a lot, yeah. the scenes that were hard and trying and an uphill battle. And these are the things that are, that go, you know, I I like to think about like what it's what you do when no one is watching that prepares you for when everyone's watching. I had a lot of fears and a lot of insecurities. It's funny because I thought I was like the man at 23. I thought I knew everything, but I knew nothing. Right. But my ego was so big that I was just like, I faked confidence. Yeah. You know, I like faked, I projected like, yeah, I got this figured out, but really deep inside I was so insecure and afraid mm-hmm. of being judged. That was my big thing of being judged. Yeah. And I remember creating a list of the things I was afraid of because I had a lot of time to sit there and reflect. Me and Lady the dog were just sitting around all day. <laughs> and I started to um, read blogs at the time. This is, you know, 2007, 2008 was when Twitter kind of had its moment. Um, and people were doing tweet ups and then there was like bloggers and people were writing about personal development. And so I just started to like dive in and research and some blog was talking about overcoming fear. And I was thinking to myself, what are the things I'm the most afraid of that I'll never tell anyone, but I'll tell myself. Yeah. Right? Cause I wouldn't pretend like a small quiet list that I can yeah, hide. Yeah, that no one's going to know right, this cause right. I'm too like cocky to like let anyone know. Yeah. Um, but I wrote those fears and public speaking was one of them. And, Actually, like making money was a fear because I'd never made money before. I got paid to catch a football, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like an entrepreneur and I didn't, never had a job. Yeah. My job in the summers in high school and college was to play football, to prepare for the season. Yeah. So I maybe had like a couple week jobs here and there, odd jobs. So I n- didn't know how to make money. I was f- terrified of that. I was terrified in speaking in front of five people. Wow. Crippling. Like I couldn't do it. I could do one-on-one well. And I could listen well in a group, but I couldn't speak and deliver a sentence without stumbling in front of a group. And so I said, okay, I'm going to give myself a challenge. In football and in sports, 
we had challenges every single day and we had coaches that would guide us on how to overcome our obstacles to achieve the goals we wanted. So I said, I need to create my life like a sport. I need to find a coach who I trust in every area of my life and I need to create a season for my life to overcome my fears and reach my championship, my Super Bowl or whatever it may be yep. in that thing. And, and in one case, that would be sort of public speaking. Public speaking example. was one okay, of those things. Sure. And I met a guy who was a great public speaker who was making a full-time living doing it. And I was like, how do you do this? I have no clue. I could barely even get in front of a room of people and say a sentence. Right. And he said, you've got to go to Toastmasters and you got to do it every single week. And you got to find the one that scares you the most. And Toastmasters is an international public speaking group. It's all over the world. Has anyone ever heard of Toastmasters? A few yeah, people. It's yeah. cool. I never heard about it at the time. And he said, go on the website, type in your um, zip code, and there's clubs all around you. So I said, okay. I went on there. It's like 60 bucks for the year or something. And I went to five different classes, groups, in a week. I went to each one that I could find close to me. And when I got to the fifth one, it was the one that scared me the most. It was like everyone was in suits. It was all like professional executives who like just could speak so poetically and I was just like captivated by these people. I was so terrified. I was like, this is where I need to be. The other ones didn't scare me as much. But I was like, these guys scare me the most, guys and girls who yeah. were speaking. So I went back there the next week. I joined the club. I didn't have any money, but I bummed 60 bucks from my sister to like pay the annual dues or whatever. And... At this time, I had a full arm cast on, so I'm going to cast from here to here, walking around with a cutoff shirt because a shirt won't go over. It's the hard to wear cast. a suit with a cast. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm wearing this cutoff football jersey that I have, like a T-shirt that I would wear, and everyone else is in suits. And I walk in there. I'm the 23 year old punk. I've got like a backwards cap on, like just looking like a football jock dude, right? <laughs> just walking in here, like you know, and. I remember being so terrified. Um, they had this thing called uh, table talks where you get up for like a minute your first day and you answer some questions. I couldn't even answer these questions. I was so terrified. Wow. But thankfully, they were all like, you did a great job. You know, they kind of have to like lie to you. <laughs> and and we it's need, like- We all need friends like positive this. like feedback, yeah. right? Like we acknowledge you for standing in front of the room type of thing, right? Yeah. It's like the things you did well. Good job have, for having a face. Exactly. Well done. Nice job. Yeah. And, here, and here's the thing is like next week, like focus on looking us in the eyes. Focus on slowing your pace. Focus on this. So they'd give like a few suggestions. Yeah. And after I went in and kind of bombed the first couple of times, I was hooked. I was like, I just want to get better. I want to get a little bit better every single week. So I had a coach in Toastmasters that... I would film myself, give the speech, and it was like a three to five minute speech I would do. Film it, we would watch it over the next day, and he would give me feedback, and he'd say, here's what I want you to try for the next week. And I did that every single week for a year. And I started behind the podium uh, with a typed out speech, word for word, where I'd look down on the podium at my notes or my pages and read word for word the first times without even looking up to the point where I was like, okay, I had it all printed out, but I was looking up like every minute and just like, you know, <laughs> speaking and then looking up and trying to pause around, right? Yeah, exactly. dramatic pause. To try to practice to the point where I was like, okay, I'm just gonna have note cards behind the podium. Still have my safety zone like behind this thing where I can protect myself, but have note cards. And I practiced that. And then I had note cards in front of, in front of the podium. And then I had one note card. And then I had no note cards to the point where at the end of the year, I was just delivering speeches over and over 
with ease and with confidence and getting like these standing ovations in Toastmasters, which they were just kind enough to do it, right? But, <laughs> That's right. But like for everyone me, stand up. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I think they also, they also saw like, here's a kid who showed up every single week who was committed to improving, who wasn't that good. It still has a long way to go, but man, they could see the difference. Yeah. And it's because I created a season for myself. I said, in one year, I want to generate $5,000 in a speech. And I put it up on my wall as my goal. That was my Super Bowl goal. And I always put goals up either on my mirror or on my wall. And I usually frame them. I sign it. And I put the date it's going to be accomplished by. Wow. I've been doing this since I was a teenager. And for some, for some reason, seeing it with the date creates urgency to, for me to overcome the fear. It's like, okay, I need to generate $5,000 in the next 12 months. How is this going to happen if I can't even speak in front of a group? Yeah. And so it's constantly, I look at it every single moment of the day when I'm in my room or in the mirror, I see it and I go, what's the action I'm taking today to get me closer to this by that date? And I think creating that structure just works for me based on my sports experience and having seasons of life where every single day there was an action plan, there was a game every single week, we filmed it, we watched it back, we got feedback, and I just repeated the process of taking action. And that's how I do everything with that format. There's this structure that I love. And I think for um, just a small anecdotal personal story, when I bailed on the things that everybody else dropped out of medical school, bailed on uh, career in professional soccer, a bunch of things. And the first thing I want to do, I was like, I'm a photographer. You know what? A schedule, that's the man trying to keep me down. I wanna, I'm an artist. You know, I want to wake up whenever. Creativity. And, yeah, exactly, man, whatever. And, uh, and that worked for a little while and then it stopped mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. because life happens and things get in the way and, and you get busy and you get distracted. And then I started experimenting with this thing called a schedule mm-hmm. and some sort of a framework. For me, it was a little bit different than what you talked about, but this is a really common thread from, you know, we've had hundreds of guests in the show and there's like an action plan. It's not just random action. It doesn't have to be like to each their own. And you're, you had your own way of framing a goal and doing something every week. Whatever the thing is, I've found that having some system works. I know you've talked to a lot of people. Is this how you have achieved all of the success? How, how, how do For you me? think? Yeah. Yeah, because I just, some sort of a framework. I, I create a framework. I create a season and a goal. I usually starts with a seed of a dream. Okay, my dream is to be on Ellen. Yep. Okay, well that's not going to happen in this season of my life. It might take three years, five years, ten years, twenty years. It may never happen. But if it were going to happen, that dream, what's the goal in the next three, six, twelve months that's going to put me closer towards it? So for me, public speaking, the dream was to speak in front of stadiums, yeah, fifty to hundred thousand people at a time. But I was like. How is that ever going to happen if I can't speak in front of five? Yeah. 50,000, but I can't even speak in front of five. So it's, for me, it's planting and just visualizing the big dream, but then saying, okay, what's the steps to getting my first $5,000? I think there's a lot of folks out there who are like, okay, that's cool, but I can't possibly chronicle and back out, deconstruct mm-hmm. the steps from sitting on my sister's couch with a broken arm uh, to... <laughs> To being on Ellen. Mm-hmm. So do you make those things up? Do you like fiction? Make, what you, up, make up the, uh, the steps? steps? Or, like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, I, I find coaches and mentors. I find people who've already done it. Mm-hmm. So actually at Toastmasters, there was a guy who had a book that was featured on Oprah. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking his brain. I'm asking him. I'm learning from him and how he speaks. I'm reading his book. I'm asking him, did you connect with someone? Like talking about building relationships with publicists and being on local press and regional press. And so I was like, okay, let me try to get like 
a blog written on like a popular blog. Then let me do, because he was like, if you want to be on Oprah or Ellen, you've got to be able to perform in front of a live studio audience. You've got to be able to deliver short, bite-sized answers if you only have three minutes on TV, yep. right? Three to five minutes. Yeah. And I didn't know how to do that, right? I'm learning public speaking in front of a group, but I didn't know how to answer Television based prep, on what media they, prep, yeah. what was going to like make it hooky, poppy. What was the thing that they were to say, we need you to come back every month and talk because you're amazing. So I studied that as well. So there's many parts of, I knew that I had to build a credible brand. I knew that I had to create results in business that were credible. I knew that I had to have an image that looked you know, Ellen or Oprah proof. I knew I had to write a New York Times bestseller. I like knew all the elements. Sure. And how did you know these things? Like to be clear, like what are you? What you're really doing is you're just looking at other people who've been there, researching just yeah. constantly. And this is, I think, the, that thing that keeps most people from like they tell themselves, "Oh, I don't know." And there's no map for being on Ellen. There's no place like look up on the internet how to be on Ellen. But what I'm hearing from you, and what I I think is, is what you're saying, is like look at the people who are there. What do See, they have in common? What there's, Oprah has a book out called like Sundays. Uh, Super Soul Sundays? It's something else. Something Sundays. Is everyone know that is? Sunday Vibes? No, it's like. Sunday Brunch? Lessons of Sundays <laughs> or something like that. It's like her lessons from Super Soul yeah, Sundays. Yeah, it great. just came out like six months mm-hmm. ago. And I'm flipping through it and it's like all of her guests and kind of like a one or two page story from each one of them and their, their idea for life. And I'm flipping through this and I'm like, man, I've interviewed that person and that person. And that. Like half the book I've interviewed the guest, that same guest that Oprah's interviewed. Yeah. And so I'm just, again, I was studying these people that Oprah was interviewing from an early age mm-hmm. or the Ellen, who was on Ellen. I was studying people who were getting mainstream press, yeah. looking at their website. And I was like, what makes me interested in their site? Why do I want to stick around on their site longer? And then I just would interview designers. I would interview programmers. I would just interview the people who built the sites and mm-hmm. say, why does this work? Why am I fascinated? Why do I feel like this person's more credible than they actually are? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to opt in? Why do I keep going back? Why do I subscribe to their podcast? Why do I follow them on social media? And I just started just saying, how do I feel about this person? And what are the elements of their brand that yeah. makes them so fascinating? It's fair to say that you're it. deconstructing the success of other people, right? You don't have to, mm-hmm. like, what is it? In order to know the stove is hot, you don't actually have to burn yourself. You can let someone else burn themselves and yeah. watch them and say, and okay, I, I know not to touch that thing. It's hot. And by the flip side is like, what, wow. Mm-hmm. When they found this success, they had done, you know, X, Y, Z to prepare for it. I think See, that's very simple. And I was the youngest of four kids. So I watched my older siblings mess up every week. Mm-hmm. Like they were making mistakes constantly. And I would watch the reactions of my parents. I would watch their feelings and emotions when they would get grounded. I would watch all these things. So I was very observant as a kid because I was like this lonely kid that was just like the brat of the four that no one wanted to hang out with. So I got very good at observing people and fascinated with um, what are people looking at? What are people listening to? What makes people cry in a good way or in in an angry way? Mm -hmm. What makes people come alive? When I asked this question, why did they light up? So for me, I was always just studying people yeah human behavior that's it but i think deconstructing the success of others is one of the big is the big sort of unknown commonality that will help in mastery i want to go back to something you said earlier you talked about mastering in this case public speaking for example and you talked about this sort of flywheel that when you can master something that gives you courage and mm-hmm. i think you use the word momentum yeah so like how important is that 
Uh, is it about starting small? Is it about doing something that you didn't think you could ever possibly fathom? Like, what's your recipe for creating momentum? I think it's 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 um, writing down your biggest fears, and the one that is the the scariest, the one you think you could never do. Then it's creating a challenge for yourself to go all in and overcome that fear, because that fear is holding you back from confidence. It's holding you back from momentum. And until you conquer that fear, I'm not talking about like jumping out of an airplane or like picking up spiders type of fear. I'm talking about <laughs> like the fears of, you know, having rejection. That, yeah, rejection or like having that conversation with my husband that I've been wanting to have for six years or having that, whatever it is, like yeah. speaking. For me as a teenager, it was talking to girls. I was terrified because I was rejected all the time. And I was like, all my guy friends have girlfriends and I don't. Like, what's wrong with me? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, teenage challenges, you know, things like that. And it's always the thing that I'm the most afraid of. That's what I want to conquer. So for example, like overcoming my fear of talking to girls, I was a teenager and just never, I think it was a fear of speaking in public as well. I just never felt comfortable talking in front of people, let alone like girls that I was attracted to or had a crush on. And so I said to myself, I'm sick and tired of feeling this way. Like, I can't keep living this way. It's killing me inside, right? This is like every teenage boy's like struggle. And I said, every single time I see a girl that I think is attractive or cute or I have like a crush on, because I would never speak to them before this, mm-hmm. ever. Like, no way. I said, every time I feel butterflies, I'm going to go up and say hi. And man, did I crash and burn like the first week because I was just I was like, Lewis is on a rampage. Yeah. What's up with Lewis? Crash and burn. But I created a, a structure for myself. I said, this summer, two and a half months, here's my season. I'm every single day. The challenge was every single time I saw someone, whether I'm out in the street or at the roller skating rink or wherever I was as a teenager. Nice one, roller skating right? rink. Yeah. I used nice to go one. every yeah. Sunday with my mom. It that's was awesome. amazing. Well, that's part of why you weren't getting any girls. <laughs> probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I was a mean roller skater though. That's right. No, I get it. Shoot um, the duck. I remember that one. You're like, shoot, exactly. shoot the duck. On one foot? That's going right. Yeah. yeah, you remember that I was move? the backwards skating guy. Oh, nice. The crossover? Did you have the no, scissor? No, the crossover, baby. <laughs> electric slide da, 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 da. Yeah. We, but we, we digress so and um, so I had to see I struggled a structure for myself and I learned this from sports I was like okay what's the goal the goal is to be able to talk to someone and have them talk back to me you know what I mean yep. without yep. like running away or whatever yeah. was happening and um, first week was horrible like just terrifying yeah you know I was just like so scared to just put myself out there yep it wasn't about kissing your girl. It was just about like being able to interact with someone and not being terrified. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the summer, I was speaking to everyone. Like, I remember my guy friends would be like, man, look at that girl over there. I would just walk up to them because I was so conditioned. Yeah. I wouldn't even talk to them about like, what should we say or what's this or what's that? I would just like, I'm walking up and I'll figure it out along the way. And putting myself out there like that just gave me so much momentum because once the fear is eliminated, there's nothing holding me back. Yeah. Once the doubt is gone, then I can go pursue the things I want. And at that point, it was pursuing girls. But I used that <laughs> analogy and was able to, to pursue other things. And same thing with launching my podcast. I remember five and a half years ago when I launched it, I was going through a, a transition in my life. I just sold a, a company to my business partner at the time. I was in a relationship that was kind of like up and down and 
was essentially ending that relationship. I just moved from New York City to LA, so I was in a lot of transitions mm-hmm. in my life. I just turned 29, and I was like, what's next for me? I have no clue. I'm a little afraid. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid of the transition and holding on to an identity. So I was like, how do I need to reinvent myself? I need to let go of this thing, and I need to put myself out there. And I'm afraid. But I, I said, okay, I'm gonna give myself a challenge. I think this podcast thing is gonna work out. I just had a feeling. This was before podcasting was big. Yeah. 2012. And there was really only a few podcasters that I was even aware of. No one was really talking about it. But I just had a feeling like five, I was I was I had a podcast. You did, yeah. <laughs> five years prior, when I was on my sister's couch, I was interviewing people, local business leaders. I was using LinkedIn and connecting with influencers and yeah. asking them questions about how they got to where they were. I was doing this, I just wasn't recording it and sharing it with people. But that was the secret sauce that helped me build my business for those five years. That's the thing that helped me become better at public speaking and get paid. That's the thing that helped me like launch a book and courses and all these things was by interviewing people. And I was like, man, I really wish people could hear these conversations. I get to hang out with Chase Jarvis at South by Southwest at 3 a.m. in the morning uh, at some weird hotel room. <laughs> this is a true story that we're not going to go into. <laughs> Fully clothed. Don't yeah. worry. No, I'm and uh, and the, the conversations we would have and yeah. other people, I was like, man, I'm so lucky to have these conversations because I would take it and then apply it to my life or my business or whatever was happening. And I was like, I feel like I'm doing a disservice by not sharing this with other people. And we were talking about this the other night about another thing we'll talk about off camera, about if we're not following our gifts, I think we're doing a disservice to the world. If we're not pursuing them at the, at the fullest uh, amount, I feel like we're doing a disservice. And I was like, I think I'm pretty good at like asking questions. I don't know. I've been pretty observant my whole life. Yep. This is how I've kind of done it, but no one really knows this about me. And this podcasting thing might be the right platform. I don't have to do video, which costs $12,000 a show. (laughs) I can just do audio and see what happens. And I remember being stuck in traffic when this idea came off in LA. I was like, man, there's so many people in traffic stuck. And I feel stuck in my life, and maybe other people feel stuck in their life. So let me create something where people can get unstuck. And the School of Greatness, the name came to me because... I feel like I didn't learn anything in school, to be honest, except for studying people. And I was like, I want to share the things that I'm learning now that I wish they would have taught in school. How to manage overcoming fear, how to manage communication, how to manage personal finances, because I never learned about that, how to manage anything. And um, I called two people who had podcasts that I knew of at the time, Derek Halpern and Pat Flynn. And I was like, tell me about this podcast thing. Like, is it any? Is it even worth it? Should yeah. I do this? Is it? Is it a fad? And they were like, "This is the most fun I have in my business right now. The audience is the most engaged of my audience who listen to my podcast, and I can't get enough of it." And I remember I told myself I was like, "I'm not going to listen to a single podcast because I didn't want to be personally influenced by how someone else did their intro yeah. and their show." I was like, "I just want to create the thing that I would want to listen to. What's that thing? I'm going to create it." And so I just started analyzing, like, how do I want it to feel, the energy, what I want people to take away from it, and how do I make it so every time they listen, they feel like they have to share it to 10 friends because it was that meaningful to their personal life. 
And that became the essence. I was like, started mapping it out. I was like, okay, this is how the intro's got to be. It's got to be inspiring. I got to have a quote because I like quotes. I got to have this. I got to say a, a, a message at the end that speaks directly to people's hearts. I was just like, and every guest has to be better than the last. That was the thing. For me. I was one of your first guests, so I'm a little they, bit worried. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that was kind of like the essence for me. I was like, it's got to be different. You talked about before about like you wanted to be different. You wanted to be great, but you also wanted to be different. Yeah. And I was like, my show has to be different. It can't just be another interview show that everyone's doing the same people. I'm sure there's going to be some overlap, but I've got to find people that don't go on podcasts. Like I just had Kobe Bryant two days ago. I don't think he's ever done a podcast. And for me. It's like I will spend two or three years texting a publicist, following up with someone on email every single month for two or three years to get that one person. That could be the game changer, you know? And for me, that's what makes it different. That's what makes it unique. There's over 620,000 plus podcasts on iTunes. Yeah. Why would someone listen to yours? Why is someone going to care? And you have to find your industry or your niche and see what's missing in that space and then create the thing that you would want to listen to but that no one else is doing at this point. I yeah. was able to get away with it at, at the time five and a half years ago because there weren't that many podcasts. But yeah. now everyone's got a similar format of interview show, right? Um, I don't even remember where I was going with that story, but... No, it's great. I think it, we're, we're still yeah. chronicling, I think, being different, yeah. not better. And how did you find... How did you land with the School of Greatness? And I think just seeing that you had some friends that were getting uh -huh. joy and value from it. And you yourself wanted to provide a yeah. vehicle for this information. For right? me, it was figuring out what's my next step going to be, right? Yeah. When I was stuck and uh -huh. I was like scared of launching a podcast because I was like, well, what if this is a fad and no one's going to listen to it? Like, I don't have a platform anymore, so I got to start from scratch. I didn't have this audience because I sold it to my, my business partner. Um, what if no one listens? What if, you know, all these things I, I also felt. But I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself one year. And I'm going to launch back it. To the season thing, right? I'm going to give myself, like, gonna gonna give myself one year and I'm going to commit to one a week for a year, which was a lot. That's a huge commitment. It's a lot, of, it's a lot of time. If yeah. you're thinking if about you, starting a podcast, I do not recommend that right at the gates, but I, yeah. that's, 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 if you're, if you're trying Unless to. Unless you got a big audience already, then it's. Right. Radical okay, action. Yeah. You know, this is a mutual friend of ours, Tony Robbins, yeah. like massive action. The first one. That's going to think. Yeah. It's the first one was on my iPhone. I put it down here. It was in like a loud room. It wasn't perfect. But I had a guest that was like a big name and I was like, I need to record this now or it may never happen. And I literally just pressed record and was like trying to speak over to it and like do this type of thing. And like people were opening doors and it was loud. But I was like, I've got a piece of content and it's really good. I'm going to put it out there. I'll try to edit it up the best way I can. Yep. But it's going out next week. And I think that's always been one of my gifts is like launching and improving as I go as opposed to this needs to be perfect. I need all the perfect equipment right now. I need this. I need the logo. I need the, the design of the website before I can launch my podcast. No, you don't. Yeah. Like just get it out there and get it started because probably no one's going to listen to the first five or 10 anyways. Yeah. But just going to give you those practice reps and it's going to start building momentum and you're going to start to build belief like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. And it's not that hard after all. And so I did this for the one week, once a week for a year. And I said, I'm not going to monetize it for the first year. Yep. I'm not going to bring on sponsors. I just want to add value to the world and see what happens. And I remember after year one, sponsors started coming in like within three to six months because I think the essence of the show and the people I was getting on, they just started coming at me and I was like, no, I'm good. I didn't take any until after year one. And then at the end of year one, 
I remember starting getting emails from people saying, gosh, Lewis, like, can you do more episodes? Because I listen to you on Mondays and then I have to listen to a podcast that I don't like the rest of the week, <laughs> right? As much yeah. as yours or whatever. Yeah. I have yeah. to listen to like other stuff that's not as good. And I was like, man, one a week is a huge commitment. It was exhausting for me at the time. Yeah. I didn't really have the support or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, it's hard to book better guests every single time. It's like the standard that I was setting for myself. So I said, okay, I'll do two a week. And the, so the second year I was like, Monday and Wednesdays or whatever. And at the end of that year, the same person emailed me and said, uh, I love it that I listen to you on Mondays and Wednesdays, but the other days of the week, what I about still- Friday? Yeah, exactly. He goes, <laughs> he goes, can you do another episode a week? And I was like, man, this is a lot. But I figured out a way to do three a week that I've been doing for the last three years now that's worked for me. And, um, and I think that's kind of the sweet spot with my type of show is three weeks a lot. But I think it still works. I do too long form, and then I do like a five minute kind of inspirational episode yeah. on Fridays, so it doesn't take a lot of time for me. But two a week is a lot. Yeah, eight eight a month, um, pretty much eight a month. But because you're constantly booking, and yeah. I'm the one booking. Yeah. So I'm running a full business, interviewing, writing books, doing events, speaking. You know, doing all these other things. And you're still hustling talent. But I'm yeah. hustling talent yeah. the whole time. Yeah which is really challenging. But it keeps you real too. Like if you're doing the outreach and, and what I find is that... I also have that relationship. You build sure. a relationship it's, which yeah, makes relationship the interview thing. better, but it's just a lot of work. Yeah, I get it. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I think you have helped us. You painted a beautiful picture of starting something small. Start with what you have. Mm-hmm. Launch, with iterate. With a season. Yeah, with a season in mind and a goal at the end of that season. I love that structure. It's amazing. Uh, let's talk about some of the things that didn't go well because we talked it was a very linear success. So give us a, give, give me an example. And I think there's a theme here also, which I'm trying to underscore, which is probably the more you do this stuff, things that don't go right start to stop feeling like big, huge failures. And they're yeah. more like, oh, it's just a little road bump and then I adjust. But give me a couple road bumps because we want to know you're human. I think over, I mean, I'm... I'm pretty good at researching a lot of things before I launch something mm-hmm. of like having an un, like a good intuition. Like I feel like this is going to work well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done enough things now that I feel like I understand, but have you ever blown the audio? You'd done a whole podcast and then you realized you forgot to hit record. Uh, no, but there was one that like I recorded and then like the audio broke or something or like the editor couldn't figure out how to, edit it like it wasn't even playing wow so okay. i felt horrible because i had to ask that person to do the interview again yeah. and that was like the worst feeling ever so that was like a small thing but i think God, i'm trying to think you know i try to overcommit to doing so many things that i get excited about i yeah. think as my audience and opportunities grow i'm like let's do that and that and that and that and then i'm i have no time and i'm yeah. exhausted and yeah. then i burnt myself out so i think it's it's learning because here's like I didn't have any opportunities when I started out. Yeah. No one cared about me. No one wanted to interview me. No one offered me any money for anything the first two years because I couldn't offer anything. Yeah. So I think it goes back to like, man, I'm getting so many cool things that are just like fun and interesting. And there's, you know, and I have to turn down a lot of money now. So for a guy that was poor and broke and didn't know how to make money, the idea of saying, nah, I don't want that $20,000 is like, crazy for me to think about yeah. still yep. 
And so it's, but, but I also have to logically say, well, okay, saying no to this is going to create a much bigger opportunity over here and an abundance of something else and more time and freedom. So it's just learning how to balance all the opportunity and not doing everything average, but doing three to four or five things really, really well. All right. We've, we've talked about um, how to shift gears, how to create momentum. We talked about mastery. We talked a little bit about some struggles and failures that might not be uh, widely known or written about you. Let's talk about mindset for a second. So I think implicit in your story about visualization of the goal and you putting it on the wall and signing your name mm-hmm. and the date, I think I'm extrapolating that there's more to your how you make and you manifest things into your life. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, what's your process? How do you control your mindset so that you don't have negative self-talk, so that you don't have, um, like, I think, to me, mindset is a huge part of every successful person's success. And deconstruct that for us a little bit. Talk I think I used to, to beat my, yeah, I used to beat myself up all the time. As yeah. a kid, in, in, low, in elementary school specifically, middle school and high school, I think my mind was constantly negative. And I would tell the principal when I would get uh, in trouble, I was like, I wish I were dead. I would say that over and over again. And I'm not trying to say it lightly, but I think I would say that over and over. I was like, why am I here? I don't understand why I'm even alive. I don't get the whole point of this. I was struggling in school. Again, the youngest of four. I didn't have really any friends. I was in the special needs classes. Um, I had a second grade reading level in eighth grade when I got tested. So I just kept thinking like something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Why am I even here? What's the point of this? Yeah. There's no purpose for my life. I'm taking up space. I'm wasting everyone's time. Everyone says I'm annoying. So why am I even alive? And wow. I think, I think luckily I had some great, uh, I moved to a private boarding school when I was 13. And I think that was the turning point for my life because it was a very positive Christian-based school where there was structure, there was order, there was, you know, we were waking up at 6 a.m., you had to clean the room, you had to make the bed, you had to study the Bible, you had to do all these things. You had two hours of study hall at the end, you had practice after class. Um, and I was living in a dorm with a 100 other boys, right? So mm-hmm. I was around this community of boys that I felt like I had friends for the first time because yeah. I didn't feel like I had friends growing up. And I started to develop my mind a lot, I think, in high school. And this is where I started to study people yeah. and realize, okay, why is this person talking to me? Why are they interested in me? And when I got really good at sports, I realized everyone wanted to be my friend. And so I was like, okay, let me keep doing that because that's working. People like me now. Yeah. And then when I lost my, uh, my ability to play sports, I was so terrified that no one was going to want to hang out with me anymore. Yeah, go because back this, to childhood trauma. The skill yeah. that I had, now I no longer have. Like my ego is stripped. So why would anyone want to hang out with me if I don't have this value? Yeah. And I went to a Tony Robbins uh, seminar actually when I was like 15 or 16. My oh, wow. dad bought me a ticket and my mom to go in St. Louis, Missouri. And I remember he, uh, it was like a three-day event and there was all these like, Super Bowl winning sports coaches and athletes and it was like, like Donald Trump was there at the time actually oh God. it was funny yeah this was like <laughs> back in 1996 or 7 right 20 something years ago and I remember Larry it was funny Larry King was there too and I've interviewed Larry King now so it's like so funny um, 
And so all these people were there were kind of like my heroes at the time, like these sports heroes, maybe not Donald Trump, but everyone else was like, you know, <laughs> a, sport, a sports hero or a coach. And I got to meet these people. And I remember there was 15 to 17,000 people in this arena, huge arena. Yeah, Tony packs it in. And I'm like 16 years old, 15, 16. And I'm sitting kind of like, call it the 50-yard line of this arena, right? Like the middle Back, the, the middle back. Middle back, right? And I'm, But I'm in the aisle because I'm 6'4 at 16, so I'm like, we got to sit in the aisle so I have leg room because mm-hmm. this is like rows. And at one point, Tony, who's larger than life already, he's, on and, and stage. He's a, a huge human, 6'8". And his energy is so big on stage. Yeah. Like you could feel it throughout the whole arena. He gets off stage. I'll never forget this. He's, he gets off stage. They're playing the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, as he's walking around. <laughs> It's like whistling, to, you know, don't yeah. worry. And he comes around and he, he's like walking closer to me. And I'm like, oh shit, this guy's big. Like he's walking <laughs> closer and closer. And then he stops like this close to me. He doesn't look at me, but he's looking out above, above my head and just kind of speaking to the audience. And I don't remember what he said, but I remember the, the way he was making me feel, like the energy he possessed in that moment. I was like, God, I want to have that. Whatever that is, I want that. Because I didn't feel that at the time. Yep. And I was like, whatever that is, that confidence, that belief, that presence that was just so magnetic, it was like vibrating in my heart. I was like, I want to be speaking in front of arenas of like fifteen to 50,000 people doing this, but I have no clue how it's going to happen because I have no clue why I'm even alive. I have no clue what's happening in my life. I have no purpose, nothing. So... I got to start getting to work, but um, it was. And is, was it school, high school that started to give you that structure? High school yeah. gave me that structure. Yeah, I mean, middle school I started in eighth grade, but the high school was really a structure. Living in a dorm uh, as a boarding student yeah. gave me that structure, um, and it was really powerful because I didn't like the the structure at first, but then I craved it, and I was mm, like, "Sounds wow. familiar." And I was like, "Structure allowed me to have more freedom." Yep. And it's probably the same with an artist. Exactly. Like, if you're just like, go shoot a photo. You're like, what am I shooting it of? But if you're like, I want you to shoot a photo of a mountain and I want it to be in this frame, then you can be as creative as you want within that structure, yeah, are, right? Yeah, great. Those context. are creative constraints and context. Yeah. yeah. And also doing it not necessarily only when you feel like it. Exactly. Right? You had to get up and make your bed and study and do all that stuff every I day. To sleep in every day. Totally. Yeah. The artist that just makes stuff when they're inspired doesn't make very much stuff. Yeah. So I think there's a there's that that structure to me is a really simple and extrapolatable thing to every endeavor. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, the school of greatness podcast right now. And, but there's people at home are listening. It doesn't matter if you're talking about building a business, um, losing weight, finding a new mission and vision for yourself as a structure, just sitting down as a writer. You've heard writers talk about all the time. Just sit down and write 500 yep. words a day or a thousand words a day. And if you write a thousand and only 200 of them are good, you can have a 60,000 page book. I'm not going to do the math. That's too fast, right, right. but you get it in a few months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, thank you. <laughs> recovery, recovery. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, so for me, the mindset, yeah, it has been a, a process. It wasn't like it, it happened all at once at one moment in my life where I was like, now I have this mindset. Yeah. When I was five, my dad, um, you know, my dad never carried a watch, but he was always on time. I didn't understand it. He had a clock at his office and he had a clock at the home, but he never had a watch on. Hmm. And I would ask, and he and he would never celebrate my birthday growing up. Wow. So I was the youngest of four, didn't get attention as it was. Most people are like, oh, you probably got all the attention because you were the baby. I got no attention. My brother was in prison for four years when I was eight till 12. So my sisters were like getting into trouble. So all the attention was on my siblings. 
And so I started to get into trouble to try to get more attention, yeah. right? And I didn't have a birthday celebration when I was a, when I was a kid. And all my other friends... Why? Can I can just... Like, yeah, point. and so my, my, my other classmates would have these birthdays and like cakes and presents, and I never got any of that. And I remember one day asking my dad, like, how come you don't celebrate my birthday? Do you not love me? Are you not proud of me? And he looked me in the eyes. He was like, I'm so proud of you. I love you so very much. But the reason I don't celebrate birthdays and the reason I don't have a watch on my my hand constantly look checking time is because I never want you to be limited by your age. I never want you to feel like you're too young to try something. I never want you to feel like you're too old to try something. And he's, and I didn't understand it at the time. Dad's a sage. It's amazing. But he was like so many people that I'm around say they can't do something because I'm this old, I'm this young, I'm whatever. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. There's not enough time in the day. And he said, you know, I never want you to be limited by your age. So never think about your age as a limiting factor. Wow. And so, you know, I still was like, yeah, but I want some cake. You know, it's like, <laughs> how about a birthday present? I know, yo? right? I was like, just give me some cake, you know, <laughs> celebrate me for a moment. But I really, I think we, 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 uh, we learn through observing our parents. We learn from like listening to them over and over, whether we think we're learning it or not. But I, I just always like, my dad said I can do anything I want at any age and I'm going to believe it. Yep. And I think I started to create that, those results at an early age was like, here's an example, here's proof that it's possible. Let me find more proof that I can achieve anything. And when I turned 20 to 25 and I wrote a book before 25, no one else my age was doing that. And I was just like, who says I need to be 30 or 40 or have a degree or have this? Like, who says that? Like, my old man says I can do whatever I want type of thing. You know, I was just like... And I think we can. It's just whatever we believe. So for me, I've always been obsessed with learning those uh, mindset principles. Yeah. What do you do on a daily basis? If that's if that's sort of strategic and philosophical, like what's your day to day look like? I'm guarding mindset? my thoughts uh, all the time. Yeah. I'm not in this. You know, the religion that I was uh, went to this school for. I'm not really in the religion. I would say, but uh, there was a quote from the book that would say, "Stan Porter at the door of thought," and I would always think about that. It's like, what's the things that's going in my mind? Why do I keep saying I'm not good enough? Why do I keep saying I'm too stupid? I'm dumb. I'm never going to do well in class. I'm never going to be able to do this. Like I would say that over and over again. Yeah. And so I just started guarding those thoughts and I was like, no, that's not going to enter the door to my mind anymore. Yeah. And so I just started focusing on the things that I was good at. I was like, man, you're, you're a great athlete. You have amazing vision. You're a great teammate. You're really good at this. You really care deeply about people. And so I just started allowing those thoughts to come in. Yeah, it's pro. this is like a two million year old exactly. organ, right? It's yeah. not meant to keep you happy. It's meant to keep you alive. And, I think, and those, yeah. you know, you got you got to actively program, uh, you know, the positive thoughts. I think that you look at a world-class performer, that's another really consistent theme in the show. Every world-class performer that's been here has a mindset, a set of mm-hmm. principles around framing what's possible in their mind. I asked someone at one point who's like a health expert, I was like, man, it's really hard for me not to eat sugar. Like, I just love cakes and cookies, like any type of candy. I didn't get it when I was eight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. <laughs> last I was, night, it, I was can I tell you a little side story? This is for the folks at home. So last night, Lewis and I went out to dinner. We hadn't seen each other in a while. Oh. Oh, having a good time. We had some steaks and some vegetables. We had steaks, uh, prawns. We both had steaks, green prawns, green beans. And uh, 
And then the server came by with, okay, oh, okay, cleared the server, cleared our plates, and came back with the dessert menu. It's like, what would you guys like for some dessert? And we're like, yeah, we'll have the green beans and the prawns. And we had an entire second meal. <laughs> and it wasn't sugar. And it you wasn't remember, sugar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Anyway, um, I digress. But So anyways, for me, sugar is kind of like my vice, right? I've never been drunk. I've never been high. I've never taken drugs. But sugar is like my This drug. is true. When, when, when we ate that second meal and, and the, the food was like, he's like, oh, I made it through without getting the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's it, man. That's my drug. And... Um, Oh man, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so I was asking this health expert, I was like, how do you not crave sugar? Like, this is the thing that's the hardest for me. And she goes, I just eat more good things and I'm just full by eating more things that are good for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, I just add more positive thoughts into my mind. I open the door for positivity. And if there's 100% of the space is full with good things, like it's hard for negative things to get in because I'm already full. Yeah. I feel fulfilled. I think the, the, uh, the philosophy is called crowding out. I think, right? you know what it you is? Just, yeah, I think like that you, you overcrowd oh, with, cool. with whatever it is that you yeah. want. Crowding. So and There's so much positive. Like I just live in gratitude. A simple practical thing, like every day I wake up and I say thank you. I just say it to myself. I think it. I say it out loud to my girlfriend. I just say thank you. I'm so grateful that I have another day to live my gifts, to pursue what I want, to experience my dreams, and to just be alive. Thank you. At the end of the night, I say three things I'm grateful for every single night to my girlfriend. I ask her what she's grateful for first, because I'm always evoking it out of other people. And by evoking it out of other people, you're being a ripple of positivity and inspiring them to be more positive. And then I'll repeat back what I'm grateful for. And every time I do that, I just feel at peace. Because some days I'll be very overstressed and overworked, but when I put gratitude in my mind and in my heart, then I feel at peace. It's gratitude is the antidote to anger, fear, frustration. You can't actually be grateful and angry yeah, at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So on my voicemail, when someone calls me, I say, um, thanks for calling. Tell me what you're grateful for first and then what you want. Otherwise, I won't get back to you. So I'm constantly <laughs> just trying to practice yeah. gratitude. Yeah. And I'm, I'm asking people all the time, you know, when I do like a Q&A at an event, I'll say, tell me your name and tell me what you're most grateful for. We'll do this here. Yeah. And for me, it's just, it's a practice for me because I can be very negative if I don't practice yep. it. Go back to crowding. Exactly. So let's play a little bit of speed round here. Yeah. Um, I, we've had a conversation before and it was framed around the perfect day. Give me, you know, the 60 seconds on the perfect day exercise that you've shared with me before. I think it's great to put it here on the podcast because yeah. it was a separate, separate uh, environment where we did this exercise. Before. Yeah, I do this when people, when people tell me they're like, I'm not sure what my passion is, or I'm not sure what I want, or I'm not sure like what I should do next, or I feel stuck in my life. And I say, take out a piece of paper, and on the front page, I want you to write down if you could wake up anywhere at any time with anyone eating anything, experiencing it in any way, write that down. Like, how do you want to wake up? For example, I want to, you know, wake up, if this is a woman, I want to wake up next to the man of my dreams. And so I'd have them write this down. And he looks me in the eyes every single morning and tells me how beautiful I am. Okay, write that down. And he rubs my back. And he opens the curtains to a beautiful ocean view or a beautiful mountain view, or a beautiful tree view. 
we make coffee together. We I thought you were going to say make something else. <laughs> right, right. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, he and does we, we something make, to me. We Who make knows? coffee. We make yeah. coffee. Okay. And it's like writing in detail, descriptive detail. What would that perfect day be like? Yeah. And imagining every moment. Where are you? What are you doing? What are you creating? Um, you get to be the artist of your day, right? What would that painting look like? And obviously, like, if you do that every single day, you're going to get bored, so it's going to change. But, like, imagine what would it be like, an essence of a perfect day, and write it down from the very moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Write it down in description. And then read it back aloud. And Is there anything missing? If so, write it again until you feel like, man, that would be an incredible day that anyone would feel proud of. And if that was my last day, that would be an amazing, great day. So once you write that down on the page, descriptive, detail, then flip the page over and write down that time that you wake up, maybe it's 6 a.m., 9 a.m., whatever it is, that time, and then every 30 minutes, write a schedule. So this is the structure. Yeah. So you need to have the big dream, the like visualization of like, I want to be on Ellen, I want to be this, I want to have <laughs> the man of my dreams. Okay, now what's the structure look like? 6 a.m., wake up, 6.10 in the shower. It's not as sexy, right? <laughs> Six, 6.30, like making coffee. Yeah, making coffee is, is a consistent. Right? <laughs> 7 a.m., it's like meditating, working out, like whatever it is. It's like you structure it out throughout your whole day until the day, what you do when you go to bed. And now you have order in your life where you can be more flexible. And you don't have to stick by these hours in like a robot every single day. Yeah. But I learned this way when we were playing football, my first season, I'll never forget this, playing football, I would go into the locker room every practice and there would be a piece of paper hanging on my locker. And it would have a schedule from like 3.30, put your pads on, 3.40 on the field, 3.45, stretching, you know, four o'clock, water break, you know, it'd be special teams, offense, defense. It would be like a five minute for coach's speech. Yeah. Like everything was detailed and structured so that, that when... We were out there in those time periods. We could be creative. Yeah. We could play. We could be fluid as opposed to see out in the field after school, see out there. Like yeah. that's not a structure. Yeah. And everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. There's no order. But by having a schedule in my business, with my team, with my personal life, everything um, gives me more freedom and flexibility to create the life that I dream about on my perfect day. Amazing. We're still in the speed round. Sorry. No, no. No, no, it's good. I love it. I love it. Um, you've mentioned sugar. You've mentioned sugar. Cake, yeah. cake or ice cream? Ooh. Um, I think ice cream consistently, but a good cake is hard to beat. <laughs> you work out in the morning or the evening? Right now it's the morning. Yeah. Because uh, when, I, when I wake up, make my bed, work out, it's like the rest is gravy. Because health is number one. Yeah. What's your, do you have a, uh, an eating program that you try to align with or is it just general? I try to eat Whole30 because I feel the best when, when I eat kind of Whole30 principles, which is no sugar, no gluten, no dairy, no grains. Yeah, we were talking last night, like, would you like the cheese or the cake? You know, we're like, hmm, and I thought you were just on the Whole30. <laughs> yeah. we, we all, but I think cheese it's- Cheese is it, like the- Yeah. It's, it's, the okay it's, cheese. Yeah, yeah, it's okay, okay. It's like the hard cheese is the little- <laughs> This is how we justify things. <laughs> You should have been there last night. Um, are you a morning person or a night person? I'm not a morning person, but I do the things I don't like to do to make me better. So I get up early 
and I work out when I'm tired because it makes me better. Um, when you go for a run, do you have music or no music? Uh, usually no music, but today I put music on and it was, it was fun. It's a beautiful yeah. morning here. Yeah, it was nice. Um, are you more of a, a reader or a podcast listener? I've probably read maybe five books my entire life. Yeah, cover to cover. I'm a skimmer and an interviewer. So I'll interview the author, and I try to get the things out of them that they don't even talk about in their book. Wow, yeah. yeah. Um, what's something that if someone, that, that you could reveal to us that you haven't revealed in other places, uh-huh. that if someone was to hear that, they would be surprised? About me? Yes. No, about me. No, of course I you. you meant, I thought you meant about someone I've interviewed. <laughs> no, sorry. I thought you meant someone sorry, I've sorry, interviewed. Sorry, 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 so something about me that if I revealed... It would be, be like, surprised. wow, even the people who have listened to all 400 of your podcasts would like... I 691. Thank you. Yeah. I, would, I would never know that about Lewis. About me, huh? I think I shared a lot that I was like, you yeah, know, you, always I'm, afraid as a kid yeah. and uh, would tell the principal I wish I were dead. I don't really talk about that that much. Um, so surprising. Um, it doesn't have to be big. I don't know how how much I want to share, but uh, I I have a dream of being on Dancing with the Stars. Ooh, yeah, and that's one of my things on my wall that I've been looking to manifest since like eight years ago, nine years ago. Wow, I was like, what are the things I need to do to get on that show? Because I started learning salsa dancing about nine, ten years ago. And that was another fear of mine, dancing and dancing in public. And so I started dancing five days a week. I was, I was a truck driver at the time, driving wow. from Columbus to Cincinnati and back. It's about a, it was about a six-hour total thing where I was driving car parts in a huge truck that was the biggest truck you could drive with a normal license before you had to get a trucker's license. So I would drive that two hours down to Cincinnati, drop off car parts, drive back. It's about a six-hour journey total. And I would listen to salsa music the whole time down and back in a CD that my friend made for me of the salsa hits. I would watch YouTube video tutorials every night and practice by myself like I was dancing with a partner in in a mirror by myself. And I would go out five nights a week and practice until the fear disappeared because I was terrified to dance in front of people. So at that time, I was like, man, Dancing with the Stars, this would be incredible, but I'm not famous, I'm a nobody, I'm just like this white boy from Ohio, like, what are the steps to getting there? I was like, okay, I'm gonna manufacture this, I'm gonna manifest it, and um, I actually thought I had a chance this time being on, but it was maybe only in my own head that I had a chance, but you know, I'm working on it. Hey man, uh, if what you have accomplished in your life is any indication, uh, we will look forward to seeing yes, you. you see it. Everyone's on, got to vote for me. That's right. We'll <laughs> see you on Dancing with the Stars very, very soon. Yeah, exactly. I'm so grateful for your time, but I really appreciate you making the journey. Please help me by saying goodbye to Lewis Howes. Give him a big Creative Live shout out. Thank you so much, bud. Thanks, bud. Much appreciate it. All right. That's, that's about a wrap for the show. Uh, I want to say thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll be back again hopefully tomorrow. All right. That's a wrap. Woo! Ah, 
so this so is again we're still we in went character. Along, didn't we? Yeah, we went a little long. We're but we're still in character, right? Because this is what normally happens. So there's a there's a big like, woof. Okay, cool. Um, thank you, man. That was amazing. That was fun. Man. Appreciate you. you sharing things that I haven't heard from you in other places. Yeah. Um, so now that we have a couple of things, I need to get photographs. Of, okay. And we've got a lot it. of photographs together. Um, so okay, we've got a photographer here. This is I'm just this is exactly what I do every time. I want you guys to see. This is for the thumbnail. For the YouTube stuff, so we're leaning in here. Make sure these, actually, let's put these mics out of our, out of, actually, let's do this. We'll put them in here close, and then we'll do this here, and we'll lean in. It's weird, because look there's at no, There's at, no sound. I know, there's no, he's got a qu- silent shutter, so I'm waiting for the click here. It is weird looking at all you all when I'm really <laughs> Okay, and then we're just going to do, I do a single now, just a, just a view. Can I get my phone? I think somebody... Oh, thanks, Lacey. And then, uh, as uh, you probably remember this, I always do a quick selfie here. It's for my uh, my social. Yeah, just go ahead and stand up. I mean, don't stand up too tall, because you're like... Slouch. Tall. <laughs> yeah. Slouch. we got to get our heads in the same plane there. Let's turn this sideways here. <laughs> and then let's do this with everybody in the background. What's up? Oh, God, here we go. Nice. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I think that's it. I want you to know that, you know, like always, we'll have a, a package of social assets. We'll go Sweet. away. We'll create some Instagram story stuff for you, some one-by-ones for Twitter, a little pull-up, pull a couple of pull quotes. We'll share all that with you when we're going to go live. I don't have a date for it right now, but our producer will be, in, you know, Julie will be in touch with Sweet. Sarah. Sweet. All right. So that's what it feels like on the front, the middle, and the back of the Chase Drivers Live show. Now, what Give it up for Chase, yeah. Yes, Chase. We only got like, we're only a couple hundred. I have 600. My God, three days, Six, three times 692 a actually, 692 today actually, right. no one dropped, yeah. Um, Almost so, 700, man. That's right, I know. It's big. I, I, got, I can do math like that, I got that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so now, what we've reserved is like 15 minutes of Q&A so that you can ask us questions about anything you saw, what, was, what felt weird, what felt natural, uh, anything that you want to know about either of us um, in this context, just feel free. So there's, it's, you can ask questions of either of us. Um, and if you don't ask questions, I'll just keep talking. So let's uh, go Ask ahead a question, go, please. Yeah, we'll go, to, <laughs> we'll go to the second row, you sir. Yep, right there in the black, in the black New Balance top. Stand up, tell us who you are, what you're grateful for. My man. Oh, boy. My man. Uh-huh. Pound it up. My name is Keith, and I am grateful for the, the concept of the, the season. Oh, yeah. Like having something on my wall that I can refer to on a daily basis. My question is for you, Chase. Um, maybe you have some ideas too, Lewis, but um, we, you just showed us a real great example of, of an interview with a lot of flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you could share with us some behind-the-scenes inner thoughts that you had along the way of moments where you thought, mm-hmm. like, anything that might be illuminating, like, oh, For I sure. need to move it along here, or yeah. like, oh, I need to loop back to this. Or, For sure. Know, yeah, yeah. Anything. No, I think... That's an excellent question, and mm-hmm. what I would like to, um, to share before I get into the details of my answer is this is something I've done for thousands of hours. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not a, a, ashamed to say the things that I'm a master. I'm a master photographer. I'm okay at running the company. I'm a very good interviewer, so I have thousands of hours, and this stuff becomes natural. It's just like a muscle. And what I'm now we'll go into the tactics. So like, just I think it's important to know that your first 
10 or 50 or 25 or 100 interviews are not going to look or feel like that. Maybe they will if you're a natural, and there are a lot of naturals in the audience, and some people have this natural inclination and gift to pull things out of people. But there are a handful of things that are going on. One, I know the themes that my show is about. It's about world-class performers. It's about vulnerability. It's about um, mastery. It's about how to recover from failure. Um, and so these are things that anytime I hear one of those things, I'm sort of marking it and saying, great, I'm going to go back or I'm going to pull on that because it's something that I have programmed my audience to look for, to understand. It's one of the reasons I know they listen and care. And so I, I know that they want me to go deep. That's one of the reasons they, they listen to the show. And I try and decide this show is not for everyone. But if you try and make something for everybody, you end up making it for nobody. So I orient around creators and entrepreneurs and I try and bring in people from different disciplines. Like yesterday I had The Bachelor on. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and we're like, wow, what's the connection? Well, The Bachelor, he had no experience in acting whatsoever. You'll have to wait till the episode comes out. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, but he had no experience in acting. And he decided he was just coming out of a really horrific divorce and wanted to like literally meet new people and get an adventure. That's why he did it. And so there's a huge, and to me, when he says that, I go right to, and like that's, so it doesn't matter if you're coming out of divorce or you're going into something, what you wanted, what I heard is you wanted to transition in your life and you're willing to do anything to get it because that's relevant to everybody in my audience. So I'm constantly knowing who's listening and relating the stories that I'm hearing back to that audience. There's some core principles that I've decided to stand for in the show. And that to me, you know, if you listen to Lewis's, it's about greatness. Right? If you listen to Tim Ferriss's, it's about deconstructing how did the master, pers- master chess player master chess. So there was a couple times I'll just like, when he said, and I had mastered this, I'm like, boom. And I'm putting a mental pin in there. And then if he finishes the story and I go, let's go back to something you said earlier. Mastery of what? What does it feel like to master? I also try and ask open-ended questions because I don't know if you, if you realize this. I'm doing a lot of talking now. But Lewis did a lot of talking. And that's because I didn't say, you know, and I, wait, I waited for my, like, short answers to the end. Because short, punchy answers, a lot of people, like, use those as warm-ups. I don't. I, I try to get the guest talking. So, like, how did that make you feel? <laughs> that's a very open-ended question. Tell me, you have a fascinating story. Take me back to the beginning. And they're like, in my, their head, they're going, yeah. holy shit, the beginning of what? It might my go life, anywhere. Yeah, yeah, my life, the time, the and, but you know what? We are programmed as humans to just respond. So I asked an open-ended question. I shut my mouth, and mm-hmm. he kicks in. Let me ask a question. You know, we're in the meta here. What did it feel like when I'm asking you these open-ended questions? Well, I think in some ways it's good. In other ways, when you create structure, you create freedom as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Right? As an artist, it's like, tell me about when you were from 5 to 10. Yeah. What was that like? Yep. Then it's like an open-ended with structure. Yeah. And, and that's like, what, you know, it's like shifted gears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, no, no, I know we're in a, the speed round, Lewis. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and then he's laughing. Oh, go, I got a too long of an answer. And then the next question yeah, is yeah. within my, so. Yeah, so it's more structured. Yeah. yeah, we're basically creating open structure. And I start out opening, like just how can we be really open? Because the guest gets lubricated. They're like, hey, all right, cool. And there's another technique that I used, and I, I, we were both mutual friends with Vanessa Van Edwards. Mm, the, tri- the triple nod. <laughs> <laughs> they will just keep, keep, keep going. talking. And I just keep nodding the whole time. Uh-huh. I'm just like, oh, it's, like, like uh, it's a constant nod. Smile, yeah. small head, turn, triple nod. That is the human condition that evokes 
Keep talking. Well, I think I think also not trying to jump in will keep people to keep talking. For because sure. sometimes I'm actually blank, and I'm like, what am I going to ask them next? But I just don't add a filler word or something. Yep. And then they'll keep talking again. It's like I thought they were done, and I'm like, shoot, i got to th- think of something quick. Yeah. But then... They feel uncomfortable, so they keep going. They're like, yeah. but let me tell you more about this. I'm like, oh, cool. I think, I think quiet, mm-hmm. like letting silence be yeah. uh, a piece of the pie. I think that's a really important thing, being okay with just letting it sit there, because that's dramatic. Right? You've heard some, some of the storytelling, some of the folks that, that earlier in the week so far here at Podcast and Week have talked about that. Use that. That's a vehicle mm-hmm. in an audio recording. Silence is powerful. Yeah, I've tried something a few times. Someone did this to me when I, they were interviewing me. They had a, like a, a notepad, notebook, and he was like writing things down as I was saying them. He was like taking notes, but it wasn't distracting because he would look up and he would like write a word down and circle it and then come back and he'd be like, tell me more about this thing like that you said five yeah. minutes ago. Like, I want to hear more about this. And then he'd take more notes and it was a cool experience. Uh, and I've done that a few times where I'll yeah. just write things down and... Right. Looks like they're interested more. You know? yeah. It's, like, oh, it's cool. almost like you're being interviewed by a porter. And, and, and if, yeah. like, again, this is where your personal style matters. Don't be different. Sorry, don't be better, be different. Like, what is your mm-hmm. thing going to be? You don't have to follow any rules. You don't have to yeah. have a table with the mics and with the, or the headphones or the, like, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's a phone. Maybe it's a, like, you be you. And I think you're going to experiment. You'll find out what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think if you go back to, you know, what, was, what were some of my thought processes, it's, now it's, it's ingrained, it's automatic because yeah, yeah. I've done a hundred of them and I know what my style, my reach, what my range, my relationship with the guest. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know, I hope that, I hope that paints a little bit of a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome, let's keep getting some more questions and we'll go back to you in the uh, cap in the middle back there. Please stand up, tell Hello. us who you are, what you're grateful for, who you are, and then you can go ask your questions. Grateful for Ohio. Yeah. Ohio. <laughs> O-H. I like O-H. it. Um, I was just curious, actually, Thank of you. both of you. Thanks. Um, there are things, podcasting is the, the latest thing for me that, you know, I have a dream of, but haven't done anything with until here I am today. Uh, but Which is a big commitment. I want to I wanna acknowledge that. It is. Here and I'm very thankful, so. very thankful for that, that I actually took action and clicked the button and... Mm. Got on the flight and here I am. Wow! Very from Ohio. For that. Yeah. Well, no, actually from Alabama, but oh, okay. born in Ohio, raised in Ohio. Huntsville. Uh, Tuscaloosa. <laughs> okay, <cool. laughs> I went from a Buckeye to Crimson right, Tide. Cool. It's very confusing. <laughs> but anyway, um, my question for both of you is: Are, are there things that you did at one point say, "Oh, I, I really want to do that. I think I might be good at that," and then they fizzled out and you never did them? Mm. And if so. What is, the, what is the thought as you look back at it now? Do you regret those things? Or does it feel like, you know what, that I didn't know it at the time, but that wasn't the right thing. Mm. I went over this direction, and that was better. Go ahead and go first, bud. Like hobbies or like career? Um, things that are important. Things that are important, yeah. Um, no, everything has led me to where I'm at now. You know, everything in the last my whole life has led me to where I'm at now. So I just look at all of it as like, oh, I learned that thing at 13 that was weird that maybe I didn't keep doing, but it's now I'm a master observer, you know, as an interviewer. So it all kind of ties in and makes sense now, but I feel like it's all made sense. I mean, I, I tried to learn Spanish. I really wanted to learn Spanish, but I couldn't learn that. That was a four years of wasted energy, but I still want to learn it, you know. 
go move there. You'll learn I know, that's when I will, really but quick. trying um, to learn that in uh, English high school is not going to work. So I got a couple of thoughts on that. One, I think life happens for you, not to you. And another way of saying that is the universe has your back. And you do the things you're supposed to do when you do them. Um, and I, I believe that. Um, and I think resistance is a part of it. So I often try, and if there's something I'm not doing that I say I want to do, I look at the contrast there. I keep saying I want to do this, and I'm not doing it. What is, what's keeping me from that? And usually it's one of two things. It's either, like, it's just not my time now, and I'm comfortable with that. Or if I give that answer, oh, I'm just not, and then I'm like, no, you know what? I really do want this. So then I look a little, one layer deeper, and like, what is the thing that, is, that I'm resisting? And it's usually a fear of success, a fear of failure, a fear of being judged, and so I will give myself then small things mm-hmm. on a regular basis to overcome whatever that thing is. In this case, it might be recording 10 episodes of a podcast and not publishing it, or recording 10 episodes and publishing four or five, or you know, some small step, or just recording conversations with the friends using your phone, not buying all this, the gear. Like Whatever the thing is, I try and give myself a small, um, you know, small structure mm-hmm. through which to achieve. And then the second one is uh, a thing that my friend, I got to give full credit to T.A. McCann. He's an entrepreneur here in Seattle. Dear friend, he won the America's Cup, United States, a sailor. He's a great, great human. Um, he just gave me this phrase called itindi. Important things I'm not doing hmm. yet. So you're, you're putting a pin in something. You're saying it's important. You're also saying, I can't fry all the fish in the world. I can't boil the ocean. This is an important thing that I'm not doing yet that I want to make sure to get back to. And if you put it on your attendee list, you'll get back to it. At some point, if you haven't got back to it for a while, you're looking at your attendee list and you're like, it really wasn't that important that or it's not interesting yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I, I've got a couple of filters from it. You heard from Lewis. I hope that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, go Ohio or Alabama. I don't know yeah. who you're rooting for now. Wow. Um, um, okay, I think I, I would love to take all of your questions the reality is we're out of time, so I think we'll hang out and we'll, after the cameras wrap, and we'll, we'll uh, do what we can to get some questions answered, ask, hang out for pictures or whatever. I want to say a huge, one more time, a huge thank you to Mr. Lewis Howes for being on the show. <laughs> Much gratitude, my man. Um, I think most of the folks know how to follow you, know where you're on, then just give us some, some coordinates. You got Lewis, Lewis Howes on... On Social media and School of Greatness podcast. School of Greatness podcast. We'll pay attention to that. And uh, I just want to say thanks again for being a part of this big family and what we're all um, creators and entrepreneurs. We're all in this together. So thank you for being a part of the family. Appreciate it. Next time. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. 
I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.